Cavs power hits. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day just to be alive. We thank you for the health that you do give us. We thank you for all your blessings that we take for granted. We ask that you help uh, open our eyes and help us see all your grace, all your love toward us. Father, most of all, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to pay our debt once for all so that whoever trusts in him will never perish but has eternal life. Father, please bless this message. Have your spirit guide us and teach us. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your spirit. Amen. Why are the apostles so encouraging? Part three. And this really is a good question to ponder. And you may even all have your own answers to this question. Uh, Maybe slightly different answers than the person next to you. But one thing we know, whatever your answer is to that question on the board, the apostles just simply are encouraging. They just are, in many different ways, I believe. But we can't help but be encouraged by these simple, faithful men who were sinners saved by grace, just like us. And as we heard on Sunday, religion makes us look at them more or as more than just that. We were reminded on Sunday by the Spirit also that Jesus personally chose the apostles. They didn't choose him, but he chose them. Jesus went out of his way to choose them, as you read the Gospels. And that is right in line with the way of salvation for any man, as we've studied. You know, we didn't choose God. We didn't didn't come to God. God drew us. God chose us. And he knew we'd respond in humility. And that's the pattern. That's the truth of our, our sovereign Lord. It's, it's his decision and his grace that reaches out to us. So the same with the apostles. And the apostles also were all Jewish. Let's not forget that. They were all Jewish. And this was in line with the Lord going to his own people first, which is part of the, the promise, even from the Old Testament that the Messiah was promised to the Jews for their salvation. Now, unfortunately, the Jews as a whole did not accept Jesus as their Messiah. Even though he fulfilled hundreds of Old Testament messianic prophecies and even showed himself by his wonderful supernatural deeds that we keep reading about. And even though the Lord knew ahead of time the response he would ultimately get from his people, He still went to them and truly gave them the chance to accept him and follow him. I mean, we can lose sight of that, right? Think about it. The Lord knows all things. He knew how we were all going to respond, when we were going to respond. He knew what his own people were going to do. He knew the cross was coming, ultimately. And he still reached out to them with an open, honest heart and gave them the chance to follow him. Where if we knew the truth, what would we have done, right? We probably would have at least skimped, if not a lot worse. But the Lord went to them, his people, and truly gave them the chance to accept him and follow him. 
Scripture tells us that as a whole, his own people, the Jews, did not receive him. So let's start our review of Sunday by going to the Gospel of John again. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 9. Lord is so gracious. John 1, 9. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. So on the board, we saw this on Sunday regarding his own did not receive him. Jesus was the Jewish Messiah promised of in the, in the Old Testament. His own people, led by Jewish leaders, rejected him first. They had the privilege of receiving him, but as a people, as a whole, they did not. As we've been taught, Jesus was very clear with the Jews on the topic of salvation, too. That was the first half of his ministry. He clearly and directly proposed all the truths about salvation, such as John 8.24 on the board. It doesn't get much clearer than this, right? Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. There's no mystery there. There's no you know, parable. There's no riddle. There's nothing to figure out. The Lord proposed directly the way of salvation to all the Jewish people. In fact, on the board, he was so clear that the Bible tells us that even though he knew, or they knew, I'm sorry, who he was, they rejected him. Even though they knew who he was, the Messiah, they rejected him. Look again at John 1.11. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So there we see the clear statement. Again, we're talking about proposed, propositional. There we see the clear statement that one needs to be born of God, also stated as born again in John chapter 3. And this occurs for the one who trusts in the Lord Jesus as his Savior. So for the first half of the Lord's three-year public ministry, he focused on going to the Jews, his own people. And he spoke to them propositionally, proposing clearly and directly the way to salvation. Again, on the board, we saw this on Sunday. God promised the Jews a Messiah. He sent His own Son, Jesus Christ. He clearly introduced Himself through word and deed. I mean, think about it. There couldn't be a more bold introduction of who He was, considering all the miracles and healings that He performed. And they rejected Him. Once their rejection was consummated, Jesus' teaching changed from propositional to parable. 
all the clearly stated proposed facts that Jesus gave them would stay in their minds. Even the Pharisees, these, these were seeds that were planted in them. Even though they rejected these truths about him. That goes to free will. So now Jesus turns to the disciples, teaching and training them through parables, while those who arrogantly rejected him would get lost in the parables. Even more lost. I mean, they were lost by their rejection of the plain truth in the first place. But now the parables would be something that they would just be confused by because they were not willing to hear. In Matthew chapter 12, we see the turning point in the Lord's ministry. So go again to Matthew 12, and let's start in verse 22. We'll just review some of what we saw on Sunday. Again, here we see the turning point in the Lord's ministry when the rejection of the Pharisees came to a head. Matthew 12, 22. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. Think about that for a minute. Could there be any more of a hopeless scene? And could there be any more of a greater miracle about to occur? A demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. It doesn't get much worse. And so this was almost like the last testimony, in a way, to the Pharisees. Um, this demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus... And he healed him so that the mute man spoke and saw. All the crowds were amazed and were saying, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man casts out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. So here's a question that came up in my studies. How many miracles can one deny before their heart becomes hard. This is a year and a half in of the Lord's public ministry. Who knows how many miracles the, the Pharisees actually witnessed with their own eyes, or at least had firsthand accounts of. And then they kept saying no. They kept denying it could possibly be that he's the one. How many miracles can one deny before their heart becomes hard? irrecoverably hard, like the Pharaoh in the Old Testament, where just there was no chance of him turning around anymore. Hard as stone. This was apparently that point for the stubborn Pharisees, so the Lord changed his way of teaching around them. As they made false claims about him, Jesus drew a line in the sand, so to speak. He said, okay, you want to say bad things about me? Fine. But if you ultimately deny the Spirit's conviction in your soul, that denial of His grace will not and cannot be forgiven. You're making your own eternal bed, so to speak, by denying the Spirit's grace and conviction. And this is what the Lord said to them next. Look at Matthew 12, 31. Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. 
Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. So denying the Spirit's conviction about who Jesus was, they can, that can lead to nothing good. In fact, it was the one unforgivable thing, according to the Lord. And as Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruits. Once again, salvation is a heart issue. These men refused to repent, but chose instead to live in their self-righteous arrogance. Notice again, um, let's just go back and look at verse 24 again. Matthew 12, 24, or 12, 23. All the crowds were amazed and were saying, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? And look what it says. When the Pharisees heard this, not when they saw the miracle, when they heard the people crediting Jesus as possibly the one, that's when they said, this man casts out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. They couldn't take losing their position, possibly. And that arrogance is what hardened their heart even more. So take that for what it's worth. But again, salvation's a heart issue. These men refused to repent, but they chose instead to live in their self-righteous arrogance. And so, immediately after these line-in-the-sand statements by our Lord, he started teaching differently. We saw this on Sunday, too. Look at Matthew 13, 1. No chapter break in the original. So that day, that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. And large crowds gathered to him, so he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. So immediately he transitioned that day after that final offering, in a way, to the Pharisees of the plain, plainly proposed gospel. Jesus began to teach in a totally different way than before. And only those with ears to hear would be able to spiritually discern his message. And as Pastor mentioned on Sunday, we must not get discouraged if we don't understand the parables at first. It's very easy to do. I've done it many times over the years. What is he saying? What does he mean by that? And we try to read into it too deep sometimes. Sometimes we... <laughs> you know, give up. But don't be discouraged because the apostles didn't get it first either. But because they were humble, he revealed it to them, even over time. So think about it this way. The Lord wants those who are willing to learn. The Lord wants those who are willing to learn, not those who are able to learn. Just like the rest of the spiritual life we've heard in our teachings the last couple of years, the Lord is not 
looking for ability, but availability. Remember that. The Lord wants those who are willing to learn, not those that are, that are able to learn. Because the willing ones are teachable. And he will teach them. So, to help us all understand the parables, the Spirit is giving us context first in this series. On the board, understanding the parables. Due to the nature of the parables being word pictures meant to reveal profound spiritual lessons, it is imperative that you first understand the context of the parable, the speaker, namely Jesus, his audience, cultural norms, time, place, and circumstance. Those are all things that are really valuable to understanding the parables, that this is all 2,000 years ago. So unless we understand the context, we're going to assume things mean different things than what they meant back then. So that's why I'm, I'm excited about the parables coming up. Um, the things that will be revealed will be gems because it's going to show us what Jesus meant in the times written to those particular people. And the apostles are our visual aid of what it's like to be humble and open up your ears. They were simply available, even though they weren't considered able by most people. So again, super encouraging, right? They were very available, but they were not considered able by most people. And the more we step back and learn about the apostles and the times in which they lived, the more we'll be able to grasp the truths about the parables. So by grace, the Spirit, again, is giving us this introductory series. On the board, He who has ears, let him hear. Since the Jewish rejectors were spiritually deaf, they could not hear the spiritual lessons encapsulated in Jesus' parables. I was thinking about this earlier as a maybe analogy to help us. Have you ever had somebody kind of tell you a story about what happened in their day? And you were there, you were listening, right? But you didn't get a thing of it? Come on. Come on, seriously. That happens like half my day. Everyone gets mad at me. But seriously, I mean, how often do you do that? You're, something else is on your mind or someone walks in and you, you're dis, your thoughts are distracted from the maybe even intimate story someone's trying to tell you. And you get half of it. You're like, who is that again? So maybe use that as an analogy to what's going on here with the Pharisees. Again, on the board, since the Jewish rejectors were spiritually deaf, they could not hear the spiritual lessons encapsulated in Jesus' parables. However, the apostles would have had the most acute sense of hearing. Therefore, it behooves us to understand the apostles whom the Lord gave hearing to. Notice again, the Lord gave hearing too. The Lord's the one that helps us understand anything spiritual. If we're humble, enter the Pharisees. Uh, no, I'm sorry, the apostles. On the board, Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Plain and simple. And I find it interesting that this verse says the word of Christ here, not the word of God, as is mostly stated throughout the scriptures. It says, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. 
And this phrase, word of Christ, is found only one other time in the New Testament. The apostles had the chance to directly hear the word of Christ from Christ. And we do now, too, even now, you know, being years later, through the four Gospels. So notice again, faith comes from hearing, hearing by the word of Christ, the very source of the Gospel. And again, this series on the Apostles is designed to be a great encouragement to us for several reasons. One main one is this on the board. Jesus taught his parables to unexceptional men. The apostles were the primary receivers of the parables, and yet there was absolutely nothing remarkable about them. We ought to be very encouraged by this. Unexceptional men. Thank God that's who he chose. Go to Matthew 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. There it is again. We see the Lord chooses us. And who does He choose? The infants. Those who are humble before Him. So in verse 28, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As came out on Sunday on the board, the idea of rest versus oppression. What the Lord Jesus Christ offers infants is something much, much greater than what the Pharisees were offering in the name of God. Instead of offering bondage, the Lord offers freedom. He gives grace to the humble. The Pharisees offered anything but grace. They offered a tougher and tougher program that you had to meet or be ostracized. Jesus is offering those who approach him as infants rest. True rest. Again on the board, what the Lord Jesus Christ offers infants is something much, much greater than what the Pharisees were offering in the name of God. It's a shame they were doing it in the name of God. But that's what religion does. So here, the Lord is referring to the 12 apostles in terms of these infants. The first ones, the first infants, so to speak, were these 12. And if the Lord calls them infants... Where does that leave us? Does anyone want to put themselves above the apostles? Maybe your flesh does. But do you really want to start going about how you might be better or more prepared or smarter than the apostles? Of course, that would be foolish. 
How about we all fall in line and admit we are but infants before the Lord, just as the apostles did? And the lesson is plain. It's right in front of us. The apostles' example. Jesus wants infants as disciples, not people who think they're already righteous. Jesus, as we know, elevated the faith of a child. He made that the premier point of being spiritual, of being saved even, entering the kingdom of God, the faith of a child. Jesus wants infants as disciples, not people who think they're already righteous, as in Luke 5.32. I have not come to call the righteous or those who think they are, in context, but sinners to repentance. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's the repentant heart that the Lord will work with. That should set us free. And if you've never repented before, then do it now, right? There's no time like the present. And as believers who are saved by grace, we repent every day. Because the repentant heart is what he can work with. It's what gets us out of the way. The parables can be understood by the infants who are willing to hear. And humility allows God to go to work in us and even produce good fruit from our soil. So again, this is all so encouraging because of who the Lord chose as his primary followers. Again on the board, Jesus taught his parables to unexceptional men. The apostles were the primary receivers of the parables, and yet there was absolutely nothing remarkable about them. Imagine if he chose the Pharisees. Imagine if the Lord chose 12 Pharisees as the apostles. Intellectuals, religious, you know, something we had to measure ourselves against and had to try to meet up to. That would be horrible. But by grace, he chose these absolutely unexceptional men. And we ought to be very encouraged by this, the whole grace plan of God. On Sunday, the Spirit gave us the analogy of asking directions when lost. Now, forget about your GPS for a minute. Most people have GPS these days. And in a way, you're asking, so that's a good thing. You're not trying to find it on your own. But just think about the concept that came up on Sunday regarding asking for help. Are we willingly humble to ask for directions when we need it? Or do we remain willfully proud when confronted by something we don't understand? Just think of your habits, your lifestyle, um, the way you react when you realize you don't know something. Or how about the way you react when somebody points out to you that you don't know something and your flesh kicks up and you're like, wait a minute, I know it. And you start <laughs> fumbling, lying, making excuses. So what should, you know, where, 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 where are you at? Be honest, in other words, in your own soul. Don't fool yourself. Are we willingly humble to ask for directions when we need it in any area of life? Or do we remain willfully proud 
when confronted by something we don't understand. What's our tendency when confronted with something we don't understand? That gives us a window into what's going on inside. So asking for help. Have you ever noticed how often the Bible encourages us to ask for help from the Lord? The humble person asks the Lord for everything. Receiving grace is a function of prayer, whether we're praying for ourselves or someone else's praying on our behalf. In other words, asking God. The apostles are a wonderful example to us of humility. They made their mistakes, as we know. If you read your Bibles, boy, did they make some big mistakes. But they didn't let pride stay in the way. They didn't let pride stay in the way. They weren't afraid to ask questions of the Lord even though sometimes they'd be embarrassed. They weren't afraid to ask questions of the Lord, even though sometimes they'd be embarrassed. On the board, something to think about regarding asking for help. Humility isn't afraid of being embarrassed. Humility just wants to know the truth. What is afraid of being embarrassed? Arrogance. So, like, again, examine yourself. Um, and we all fail to different degrees in different situations. But do we want to preserve our appearance and reputation so we don't ask? What might even be perceived as a, a stupid question? Or in humility, we just, you know, I want to know the truth. I'm probably going to look a fool here again, but... Either you're humble or you're not. Do you want to know God's truth or not? Humility is willing to, willing, I'm sorry, to put all like the garbage aside, all the superficial stuff aside. Humility puts that aside for the sake of knowing the truth. Again, on the board, humility isn't afraid of being embarrassed. Humility just wants to know the truth. So on this topic, step back and think about your own humility here. One sign that we're humble is that we ask the Lord for guidance and answers in our lives. That's one sign. Uh, for example, when something comes up in your life, do you stop for a minute and ask him what to do or what he wants for you from that situation? Or do you just plow forward with your own ideas and solutions? Be honest. For example, and you know, this will work for some of you. If you're retired, it might not, but think back, be creative. If you've ever thought about getting a new job or working for a new company, did you start your job pursuit without asking the Lord first? Basically saying, I know what's best for me. I know I've done it in the past, less and less, thankfully, but. How many times do you get an idea in your head and you don't even consult the Lord? Pretty foolish. But because it's something we want, or we really want to get out of that last job, we overlook asking the Lord in humility. And we go guns a-blazing. So why 
here's the question. Why don't we stop at every turn in our lives and just ask him for help and guidance? Every turn, right? You're on the narrow road. You're trying to follow the Lord. You're, you're on the narrow road. You're staying with the word. You're trying to listen to the spirit. And then the road turns. And instead of asking the Lord, why is the road turning? Or do you want me to go this way? Sometimes we just do it out of pride or arrogance usually. So there's a little test to see how arrogant you might be. And we all fail this test, so it's not for condemnation. But uh, sometimes we think we're humble when we're really not. And these are things to just honestly examine so you don't fool yourself. So, again, the question is, why don't we stop at every turn in life and just ask him for help and guidance? Now, back to the word and even the parables. Are you willing to ask for help in your understanding of spiritual things, like the apostles were? Look at Matthew 13, verse 10. You still in Matthew? Okay, Matthew 13, 10. And the disciples came and said to Jesus, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. Here again we see the root of the problem is the heart, or the lack of a repentant heart. Again, verse 15, For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, talking to the apostles, because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. So the apostles weren't afraid to ask questions. It's a beautiful thing, really. And this is one reason their ears were opened. Our primary encouragement is this, again, on the board. Jesus taught his parables to unexceptional men. The apostles were the primary receivers of the parables, and yet there was absolutely nothing remarkable about them. We ought to be very encouraged by this. And we saw on Sunday, the truth is that Jesus chose the apostles because they were simply ordinary. Awesome. Thank you, God. If it was us, <laughs> if God sent us to earth 
and said, I got a mission for you and I want you to go pick 12, we'd try to pick 12 superheroes, wouldn't we? I'm going to take Flash over there because he's got all the speed. I'm going to take Superman for the strength. I'm going to go find Aquaman. You know, he can speak to the animals and, you know, control the underwater scene. We, we would try to get the best, most powerful people by our side, the smartest, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the Lord was making a point by picking these simply ordinary men. On the board, Jesus chose these simple, ordinary men to make the point that His grace is sufficient and to show that He gives grace to the humble, allowing them and us believers now to understand and even do supernatural things. Therefore, to God be the glory. If he chose men that were able and intelligent, you know, to understand what Jesus was teaching, that really would have stunk. And it would not have given all the glory to God's grace, would it? Men would have been taking credit. But Jesus purposefully chose these simple, ordinary men to make the point that His grace is sufficient and to show that He gives grace to the humble, allowing them, and even we believers, to understand and even do supernatural things. Therefore, all you can say is to God be the glory. And it gives us hope, doesn't it? To take it a step further, on the board regarding uneducated men, Uneducated men understood the parables. The apostles, especially Jesus' inner circle, Peter, John, and James, were chosen specifically because they weren't educated. Jesus chose character, faith, and purity over intellect. And that's a great example for us in life, too. We tend to choose those who are able, those who are smarter, etc., to be by our side. We even tend to trust those people more when really we should be looking for those with character, faith, and purity over intellect. But that's another story. So Jesus chose uneducated men on purpose to bring Him glory. So what about the rest of us? It's perfectly okay that folks like you and I don't understand something as magnificent as the parables the first time around. In fact, it makes us like the apostles that walked with the author and perfecter of our faith. They didn't get it the first time either. But they were humble, and the Lord therefore graced them out and helped them understand. So nobody's hopeless. And in fact, it gives me great hope when I see someone who you know, is trying to follow the Word of God, but says, you know, I, I don't have the ability. I don't have the smarts. I can't figure this out. You know, I read it and I'm confused. I'm like, maybe that's actually a blessing in disguise that you are humble enough to recognize that and go to the Lord in humility and say, Lord, you're going to have to show me this. You're going to have to teach me. Maybe that's a blessing in disguise. Maybe you should thank God for what you don't have, some human strengths that could be your downfall. And one of those, as came up on Sunday, could be intellect. So it's okay that we don't understand the first time around. We're in very good company with the apostles who were humble enough to keep asking. 
If we're arrogant, thinking we understand, not seeking the Lord's truth honestly, then we're going to be left in the dust spiritually. We're going to be without wisdom spiritually because arrogant people don't listen and they don't ask. But we can be like the apostles. We can follow their example. On the board, again, regarding the uneducated men who understood the parables, Jesus' parables are unlocked not by intellect, but by honest pursuit of the truth. The Holy Spirit will reveal said truth to those with ears to hear with. The apostles prove this. Again, it's, it's kind of like God looking at the heart again. God looking at the heart. You can't fool God. What are you in this for? Do you really want to know the truth? Seek and you will find, the Lord said. Knock and it will be opened. Ask and you will receive. Probably the best quality we could have. Go to Matthew 7, verse 7. One of the best qualities we could have. Jesus is like, if you ask, I'll give it to you. Like a child would, faith of a child. Dad, will you, will you show me this? Will you show me how to do this? And the loving father says, all right, you're ready. You're humble. You're ready to listen. Let me show you. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Everyone who asks, receives. Now, you may not receive it in your timing. Even the apostles took a while to understand these things, but they kept asking. Ask, and you will receive. Everyone who asks, receives. Because the Lord is faithful. And he gives grace to the humble. How about seeking first the kingdom of God? There's a sign of true humility, by the way. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all things will be added to you, including understanding. Look at Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What is the Lord after? He's like, will you honestly seek me from your heart or not? Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, the Lord says, and all these things will be added to you. All the things you're thinking about, you think you need, you want, etc. It's kind of like when Solomon, the Lord, you know, asked Solomon what he wanted, and Solomon said, I just want wisdom. What did God do? He gave him everything else too, because he wanted God's wisdom. He sought first the kingdom of God, gave him everything. Now, if you're doing it to get everything, you can't fool God. But you see the, the illustration? You see what God is after? He's after our hearts again. He's like, seek me first. Seek me first. Let me bless you. I want to bless you. But I can't do it unless you're humble. So where is your heart at? Is it at the place of a sincere, honest pursuit of his truth? And we all need to ask ourselves these questions, people. I, mean, I don't care how long you've been 
in the Word. Uh, you're in a habit of coming to church every day to try to be faithful, and that's awesome. But we all have to examine our heart along the way because it can get lost. We can get fleshly. We can have wrong motivations, no matter how mature we get spiritually. The Lord, again, is looking for our hearts in everything we do. Now, as we begin to close, we saw on Sunday that theologically, the parable served two main purposes on the board, the twofold purpose of Jesus' parables. Hide the truth from self-righteous, intellectual unbelievers like the Pharisees and reveal simple truths to those with childlike faith. Those are two clearly stated reasons that the Lord was starting to teach in parables. So as the Spirit is telling us, we need to learn about those men who had the faith of a child, namely the apostles, whom the Lord called infants, and that was a compliment. We need to be very careful also not to put these men on a pedestal because of their faith. So think about it this way. This came up on Sunday. It's good to respect the apostles. It's not good to worship the apostles. And you see how Satan can, can push the line over? You know, here's respect on this side and here's worship on this side. And Satan just tries to push the line over. Here you are just respecting them for, you know, men that followed Jesus, right, and had faith, and we can learn from. Wonderful. The minute you start elevating them on a pedestal, something's wrong in our heart when we do that. Something, our perspective is wrong, and it's going to affect other areas of our spiritual life and, and other perspectives. So on the board, this came up on Sunday regarding the encouraging apostles. Yes, they are encouraging, and we should respect them, but we shouldn't lift them up inappropriately. Satan's strategy is to make the apostles out to be superhuman and therefore relegate them as unrelatable. However, in fact, they are the exact opposite. Jesus chose them knowing we'd be able to relate to them as fellow sinners who needed a Savior. But what do we do? We get in the way. We add a little religion to the mix. Many of us are even brought up in religions where basically these men are worshipped. And we saw this example on the board of this statue of Peter at the uh, Basilica. And, I mean, here's just a question to consider. Why a 50-foot statue? Why? Why did some guy or a bunch of guys, probably religious guys, get together around a table and say, you know what, we've got to make a statue of Peter. And it's got to be huge because he was awesome. Why does man do this thing? Was Peter a good man? Yep. Did he have wonderful faith at times? You know, admirable. You know, encouraging. But why a 50-foot statue of a fellow sinner saved by grace? Thank God we have examples in Scripture of the many sins and failures of the apostles. It's very encouraging. I mean, why do you think the Spirit recorded them, right? Maybe 
so that the only one we put on a pedestal like this is Jesus Christ himself. The scriptures reveal their sins, the apostles' sins, the apostles' failures, wonderfully to remind us all of who we are and who they were. And these simple men who failed often, these are the ones the Lord chose to reveal the parables to. So we all have hope. And he revealed the understanding of the parables to them. So we all have hope if we're humble. Satan wants us to put the apostles on a pedestal like this statue on the screen and say, oh, I could never be like them. You know, let me idolize them, basically. After all, they walked with our Lord. They touched him. They hugged him. They did a lot of great works and miracles even in their lives. Let me put them on a pedestal because I could never be like them. It's exactly what Satan wants us to say. When meanwhile, God can use any vessel by grace to do supernatural things. But if you believe the opposite and you put them on a pedestal and say, I could never do that, you just got in the way of God's grace working in your life. Following the apostles' humble example. So the Lord was using simple men, sinners saved by grace, and that is our saving grace. It was the Lord graciously granting them His power as he does for anyone humble enough to believe in him and follow him, even to do miracles. So let us remember the apostles were simple proof or evidence of what true faith looks like. Can we leave it there? The apostles were a wonderful example to us and evidence of what true faith looks like and humility. That's what came out on Sunday. The apostles simply showed us how to be humble and allow the Lord to use us and produce good fruit in our lives. They get out of the way. So examine yourself. Are you possibly, like in your, in your soul when you think of the apostles or when you see this statue, what's your response? You, I mean, not that you've just been told what to do or the right way, to, right perspective. What's going on in your soul? I even caught it a little bit in my soul that my respect for them, the apostles, could go beyond respect to an inappropriate place. Why? I was brought up in religion. I was brought up from childhood to look at these men in awe, especially in you know, the Catholic religion. So guess what? There's a lot of garbage in there. There's a lot of lies embedded in our souls that we don't immediately drop. So just ask yourself, you know, are you worshiping the apostles in a way in your own soul? Are you putting them on a pedestal in your mind? It's a religious tendency that we all must recognize and drop. Because we all need to stop making an issue out of the flesh and make an issue out of the Lord's grace alone. We all got issues in this area. So on the board, regarding the encouraging apostles, as we begin to close, what the apostles lacked in intellect over the Pharisees, they possessed in humility over them. Human IQ is often the greatest handicap 
of all to the to spiritual growth. Intellect is one big way that man can get himself in the way of God's grace plan for his life. Intellect can make one arrogant and stubborn, even like the Pharisees. But we know, even from the Apostles' example, humility is the prize. Humility is what can truly change a man's life. And guess what? The good news? Anyone can have it. You don't have to be able, you just have to be available. Anyone can have humility and allow the Lord to work in their life. On the board, the higher the IQ, the more likely a person is to complicate the simple teachings of Jesus. Why? Why do people do that? Most likely to assert their sinful desire to dominate others, to be smarter than others, to be the ones with the complex answers that others need to ask you about, etc. The saving grace for any intellect is humility, something the Apostle Paul, in his great intellect, he learned that in spades. Go again to Philippians chapter 3, verse 2 as we close. So these are the discouraging Christians on the board who like to complicate the simple teachings of Jesus to feed their own flesh. But the saving grace for anybody, even those with a high intellect, is humility. And the Apostle Paul had the highest intellect of anybody. But he learned that humility was the key. And he had it. Look at Philippians 3, 2 again. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. So Paul uses himself as a visual aid. On the board, when he says, I far more, think of the most accomplished theologian today, whoever might come to your mind. If Paul were alive today, he would bury them. He would annihilate them if forced to compete with them on fleshly grounds, intellectually, doctrinally, religiously. He had it all by man's standards, by religion's standards. Look at verse 5. Paul starts giving the list. He was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I even persecuted the church. That's how much I love God. As to the righteousness which is in the law, I was found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Garbage. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and I may be found in Him, 
not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. What a nice example on the other side of the spectrum. Paul had humility, even though he quote-unquote had it all in earthly terms. On the board, we're nothing without the righteousness that comes on the basis of faith. The standout exception we have to the rule, Paul, is most humbly stating that as smart as he is, it means absolutely nothing. The righteousness that all men need is a grace gift, not an intellectual pursuit. There's something the Spirit's been hammering into our heads for a few years now to get our arrogance, to get us off of our, you know, high horses, I guess, and be like, wow, why are we complicating the simple teachings of Jesus? Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of Christ. And those who are humble, even though they don't get it, they're going to get it because he's going to reveal it all in phases, all in his timing, but he promises to reveal it to those who ask. And that's awesome because it gives every single person listening right now hope. Despite any physical, mental, emotional handicaps, he uses the weak to shame the strong, right? That's what God does. So maybe again we should thank God for our handicaps. And look at them as a blessing in disguise. Because it's an opportunity to be humble and receive grace. Amen? All right. We'll continue on Thursday. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth. And we thank you for the truth about your simple plan, your pure gospel, and even using simple men like the apostles to show us how it's done, to show us how to get out of the way and have humility and just ask the Lord to reveal the truth in a good heart. Father, we ask that you help us take these truths out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your Spirit we pray. Amen.